Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Thank you for joining us um, on this our series of interviews with leaders in the recruitment industry. And today I'm delighted to be joined by my friend and client, Brett Ennels. Uh, Brett, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So, um, Brett, just a very quick scene set. Brett's background is not entirely, you're not a career recruiter, are you? you not at all. <laughs> Um, facilities management yourself and then moved into recruitment and set up a business from scratch and in the year and a bit I think that you and I have been working together the business has been through some fairly significant change so I think perhaps you're the best person to introduce the business Brett if you could just describe for a very disparate audience of recruiters what makes your market a little bit different and um, you know the industries, types of clients, roles that you that you fill, please. So we work in um, what's deemed the building services market. So in essence, it's anything electrical, mechanical in buildings. So it's sort of post construction, um, and it's more of a maintenance market. Um, it's not always thought of as a sexy market, but it's a market that's needed nonetheless. Um, and it's driven by health and safety. It's driven by legislation. It's driven by risk. And so, uh, so, yeah, we look after lots of uh, electrical, mechanical things in buildings. The type of roles that we recruit for go broad spectrum from um, engineers, service engineers, right through to C-suite board level people and, and everything in between. Um, so senior management, sales people, sales directors, we do the whole, whole portfolio of, of, uh, of positions. In essence, what I like to do is to summarize it to say, um, we find the people that our clients are looking for that they can't find themselves, if that makes sense. Okay, thank you very much. Now, um, Centre Personnel is based in Loughborough, but covers the whole of the UK. Um, and you have worked abroad as well on occasion. Um, and you, just to give listeners an idea of size, um, your current headcount is... 14. What? 14 at 14 the moment. staff, okay. Um so over the last two years, Brett, like, like many recruitment business owners, you've been through a huge amount of change internally um, and I'm delighted to say a really significant amount of growth and success as well. So can you briefly describe for listeners sort of what those changes have been? Um, and I'll chip in wherever. Um, and then we'll move on to... How has that developed your skills as a leader? So um, the, the changes, I mean, really, um, since COVID, um, so in the past sort of two years, two, uh, a year and a half, we've been working together. Basically, if it, I'd look at it, we deconstructed the company and put it all back together again. So we've re-engineered the whole business in, in essence. 
And that that was born. I, I had a business partner who decided to leave. Nothing sinister. He just decided to uh, take another path. And that happened really. That coincided around the time of COVID. So um, so then, you know, as with most people, we hung on to uh, hung on to everything by, by our shirt tails to get through COVID. And then as we've come out, we I've, I've taken a, a step back, or during COVID, took a step back, looked at the business. And thought, right, now it's now it's just me, it's just my decisions. Where do I need this to be? Where do I need to be in, in three years, in five years' time? And looked at all the weak areas. And as I say, that's where we, in essence, deconstructed it and reconstructed the business um, to put it in a better position to maximise the opportunities in the market and but also to deliver for candidates and clients, etc. Mm. So... Um, we've done a significant amount of, of that reconstruction work. To give listeners a flavour, first of all, it includes things like um, re- redefining what your market is to building services away from pure um, fire and um, fire and security, lifts and escalators, on the other hand. We've redefined the internal structure of the business and of course, you've introduced a um, a contract arm as well. And one of our biggest pushes was to um, move uh, up the value chain in terms of average placement value as well. So that's quite a lot. And there's a lot of nitty gritty detail work that is involved to make those big shifts, which are now really starting to pay off in um, Cento personnel. Can you just describe, as much as you're, you're comfortable, um, can you just describe some of those changes for our listeners, Brett? I think the first the first shift um, for, for me and for everybody here was in mindset. So seeing um, sort of a post-COVID world as an opportunity and then taking that on to, to maximise the opportunity. I'm very fortunate. I've got some very good people here um, and, and, and we've developed a very, very good culture, probably the best culture we've ever had in this business. And so we, we, we looked at it as a, as a massive opportunity. We then also looked at where, where most of our efforts were. And yes, we've been very focused on the fire and security sector. That's my background. That's where I was in before, um, before recruitment. Um, and then ultimately lifting escalators as well. We've served that market for 14 years. So if you look at that, um, th- those, th- that, 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 those sectors, whether where we were sitting, and then we just look to expand it into adjacent space into the building services market. And a lot of our clients work in a broader spectrum as well. So again, it's just low-hanging fruit. We're just looking to expand our channels. And that's what we've started to do to move into HVAC um, and into energy and in consultancies as well at the moment. That's the, that's the, the, the three that we're hanging on to um, and pushing into those markets, just to give us a wider portfolio. So again, it started with mindset. It started with the belief that we could do this. Um, we then looked at where we were spending our efforts. And as with all recruitment business, as with all sales businesses, numbers go up and numbers go down. And when the numbers were down is when we were focusing on, if you like, the wrong things. We were still okay, but we were focusing on the wrong things, which were lower value um, and highly competitive markets or highly competitive areas within the sectors. So we looked just to shift it to the more lucrative markets where there was less competition and, and, and better fees, basically, and offering more of a value-added service rather than just a, you know, be a purveyor of CVs, as, uh, as you say. Yeah. Um, and 
interesting that you say about shifting expectation because I, I hope you won't mind me saying, but I think it's fair to say that it took lots and lots of pushing to get some of your established staff to say no to things. And there's there's a very, we're very hardwired, aren't we, in recruitment to have this um, scarcity mentality that says, well, some money is, is better than no money. But actually, um, and, and many of our listeners, I think, will recognise this, actually, you spend a lot of time working for that some money, don't you? Particularly the way the market's been with candidate shortages and very difficult to get clients sometimes to adjust their behaviours. So um, I read earlier this year uh, an, an REC piece of data that showed that in permanent recruitment, on average, it was taking an extra month to fill jobs. And and as you and I know, that's not a month just sitting around waiting to go, can I issue the invoice now? That is a month of actual work, isn't it? Keeping candidates on board, having to start the search again sometimes, that kind of thing. Um so it's very, very easy to stay trapped in that. I've got a job order. It may be low fees. It may be uh, low, you know, a, a low salary and a low margin. But it's something, and it'll keep me busy. <laughs> really easy to stay trapped there, and it's one of the hardest things to do to get people to walk away. So, I know, in a very practical way, what did you have to do as leader to get people to make that shift? It was getting them to recognise how much work um, it, it goes into finding the right individual for the right company. Um, that was that was the biggest shift. And then also, I mean, one of the one of the, the the misconceptions, if you like, from from I suppose all recruitment, we get the phone call: "How many people have you got on your books?" And we started to say zero. We don't have anybody on our books. We don't have anybody at all. An extremely candidate short market. If you want a salesperson, a service manager, a project manager, an engineer, whatever it might be, we've got to go and find them. And that is where the work is. And it was getting, the, again, the consultants then started to realize that they've got to put a lot of time and effort into that. And so as a result, they're not going to do it for, for nothing, basically. Um, and, and so it's understanding and realizing their worth but also explaining to the clients, look, this is not a case of us just plucking two or three CVs off of a pile and putting them over. It was quite surprising how many clients thought that we were sitting on a stack of CVs and once they signed our terms, then we would just release them. No, this, 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 that world doesn't exist. It never exists. And the other, the other side of that, and we say to clients now, if all you're looking for is the people that are on the market applying for jobs. You don't need us. Just put an advert, just put a post on LinkedIn, put it on social media, put an advert out and find them yourself. We'll find the people you can't find. So we'll, we'll find the people that are in the market, not on the market, basically. And and then it, once you then explain to them how much work goes into that, and we're not charging exorbitant fees, we're charging an average fee, they're quite happy to pay it. They then realise what's going into it. And again, the other thing is we work in partnership with people. We're not just we're not just working on spec business anymore. Yeah. So it's I think it's been um, from observing it sort of secondhand. I think you've you've started in the industries you work in with a 
lower expectation from client. Well, it depends how you view it, either lower or higher. In other words, the, the value that they placed on your services was low at the beginning of this period, not because of anything you necessarily did, um, but just because that's how they thought of recruiters, is the way you've just described, you know, just sitting on a pile of CVs. And um, so the achievement you've made in terms of raising your average permanent placement fee which is quite substantial, um, is, is I think really deserves some plaudits, actually, because it's not just about the service you provide, but it's who to, i.e. how senior you're going in an organisation, um, and how much commitment you're getting from the client. And it's been a big process of re-education. We've also introduced a lot of um, internal changes, um, such as uh, the way that people are, are trained from the from the outset, the kind of things we measure and monitor in the business. So um, it might be quite helpful for our listeners to understand how that's uh, you know how that's played out with you. Yeah, I mean one of the big changes again that we implemented was the um, career pathway, the career ladder. So again, um, I'd set my stall out at the beginning of, of, of last year, the beginning of this year to, to hit a particular number. But what I'd failed to do is to have that um, or to recognise that the consultants, they need to align their personal goals with the, the company goal. And once you get that alignment, then you can get people's buy-in and the culture changes. So again, we, we, you know, together we implemented the career pathway the career ladder, so people can see that there is a particular level and how to get to the next level and what they need to do to achieve that and then get to the next level and get to the next level. And by doing that, that obviously then contributes to the ultimate goal of the company, which is obviously um, sales numbers. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, that's been quite a big sea change in the business. And as a result, we have promoted four, five people now um and 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 other people have got their their eye on the next step and um and again that's then then that that creates a vacancy beneath and again we can backfill and then the company starts to grow yeah absolutely and there's definitely a strong sense of forward momentum there now amongst people and also the um the, it's transparent what, how and why you get promoted is um uh, is really clear to everybody, which saves an awful lot of idle and damaging speculation, doesn't it? Now, thinking about yourself as a, as a leader, how would you characterise your development, Brett, over the last two years in particular? Again, I think it starts with mindset change. I've had to develop very quickly. I've had to adapt very quickly. Um, because again, I was used to working, um, you know, with a business partner. Um, on top of that, I did also have a, an ops manager um, of eleven years that did a lot of things for me, and um, and she decided to leave and, and and go into you know running a pub and so on. So I was then dropped um, pretty much in the deep end for 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 everything within the business. And and in hindsight, it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I started to see everything then. Um, and so I've had to get, I've had to be, you know, head cook and bottle washer, um, jack of all trades and get involved in everything. That's the only thing that, that um, I, was, I have found difficult, but getting used to it. But I've had to, I've had to look at that as not as a negative, but as a positive. Everything I've looked at as a complete positive. And as a result, me as a leader, 
um, hopefully my positivity has then rubbed off onto the um, onto the, the staff, onto the consultants, and they as well look at everything from a positive point of view. And we 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 don't have negativity in our office. And I'd say that's the biggest change in this office with the culture that's helped drive the results is that mindset change that you can do it absolutely can do it and and one of the things that uh i think you've done particularly well is by getting your head seriously under the bonnet in terms of how all the back office systems worked you've actually become something of an expert in looking at how you can get more out of those systems. And when you uh, engage with a new supplier of tech, you're really on it in terms of exactly what will this do and how can we tweak it to make it work for our business? So you've introduced quite a large number of new tech and back office suppliers as well, haven't you? Yeah, I took on too much. In, In all honesty, towards the end of last year, beginning of this year, I took on far too much far, far too much um, in one go. But slowly but surely, these projects will come into to fruition now. Um, I, so, and I've also, I mean, we use Mercury as a, as a CRM, which is a Dynamics-based software. Um, and what I've started to do is to align everything that's Dynamics-based. So the phone system, um, the marketing system, we're just starting to implement Click Dimensions, which is Dynamics-based um, marketing software as well. Everything's pitched around Microsoft Dynamics. Now, fingers crossed, it's the right decision. It looks like it is. But again, I've become, um, you know, the, the, the techno babble that you get back from these uh, software companies, and I mean that uh, in a nice way. I've had to adjust. I've had to learn very, very quickly how to put these things together. Um, and it's starting to, that then starts to drive efficiencies. And so the whole um, the whole thing for me was driven around, if you've got a you know perm consultant doing um, two to three deals a month, is to try and get them to that fourth deal, um, and that's better for them and it's better for me. So, um, from a growth perspective, am I looking for a hundred person business? No, I'm not. I'm looking for probably a twenty thirty person business that's incredibly efficient, and that's what I'm trying to drive through through tech. Yeah, and and when you use the word efficiencies, there are a lot of people in recruitment who think we just mean cost saving. So what we mean is enhanced productivity, really, isn't it? I think that's really important to to clarify. So you mentioned there about integration. There's no doubt in my mind that a successful small recruitment business leader really needs to understand what's in their tech stack. And very often we sit with something that is, it was what was available at the time and everyone's familiar with it. Um, and... Actually, it was a bolt-on at the time, and now things can be, for for example, far better integrated. Um, or and obviously, a lot of the uh, technical service providers are constantly improving their own offering. Do you have any particular um, recommendations in terms of the tech that you've introduced? Well, again, I mean, we're using we're using uh, Mercury. Um, we're using um, Cloud Call is, is the phone provider because again it integrates with Mercury, and we're using Click Dimensions. Um, another one we use, which is very good, is Sourcebreaker, recently been acquired by Bullhorn, I believe. But um, a very good product that gets um, you know rookies, if you like, um, becoming efficient very quickly. 
So um, I, I, that's one. Another one we use is Elay, which is a um, chatbot. Um, and again, a, a very, very good um, bit of technology. Um, I've tried to cap it at that. I've got, obviously, um, you get phone calls and emails from lots and lots of people all the time. Um, so if any of those are listening, it's not because I'm saying no, it's because I need to get everything working properly before I look at anything else. Um, but I've tried to cap it at that. Um, and I know a lot of people use video. You know, we, we have um, flirted with Hinterview um, before, which is a good product, don't get me wrong, very, very good product. But in our market, for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to work. I think it's very market specific. Because of the type of staff that you're providing? Yeah, I think maybe because of the type of staff we're providing, but it just it's, it was the client side of things that just didn't really buy into it. Um, and I think that was also born from um, born from, from post-COVID, where people were used to Zoom, they're used to Teams. And if, if I say, well, I've got this video platform where you can interview candidates, so well, I just use Teams, I just use Zoom. Our world, our world uses Teams and Zoom all the time for video interviews. But trying to so it's not that I've avoided those um, those that those that technology. Um, we have we have employed that technology. It's just again just testing the market and seeing what what our clients, what our candidates are open to using. Understood. And and key word there for listeners: integration, absolutely key. So there's more. There are more possibilities now in terms of integration than there have ever been. Sales, marketing, your website, your CRM, your your direct mail can all be integrated, and if, and it's worth hanging on until you can get that right. Um, most definitely. Someone said to me to be more Ramsey, as in Gordon Ramsay, and accept second best. <laughs> So uh, yeah, I've, I've always that. I mean, that's one thing that that, that uh, I always that I will be more Ramsey. And if I have to say no, I'll say I'll just say no and start again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, in the recruitment sector in particular, we do have some specific leadership issues. Um, it's a sales-led environment. You've got a lot of young people, often quite highly rewarded um, compared to their peers. Is it possible, do you think, these days for a, a leader in recruitment to be all the things that people seem to expect? And I would list there things like to be your staff's social conscience, their entertainer, their counsellor, their um, you know financial advisor, for example. Is it possible? And if so, what's the secret? <laughs> I wish I knew the secret to be truthful, um, but I think more and more, if you if you're leading and running a recruitment business, then you have to be all of those things, almost like a parent um, to a, to a degree. And I suppose maybe you know I am uh, at the other end of the spectrum age wise. Um, the entertainer thing I used to be able to do that years ago quite well, but um, that's taking its toll, and um, I have to leave that for the younger people. I try, I still try and give it a go, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not as easy as it was. Um, so then you fall more into sort of pastoral care, um, your soundboard. As I say, I've been a mortgage advisor. I've been, I've, been, I've been an agony aunt. I've been all sorts, absolutely all sorts. And I think, I think also when you get to a certain, I mean, we're not by far of any stretch of the imagination, a big business with 14 people, but there's enough people here that part of my role is just to give them time and just listen to what they what listen to their problems and help them 
help them, coach them, mentor them. Um, and, and also we've got, you know, as, as you, as you know yourself, we've got two people that are coming up into the management world. And, you know, again, I don't think anybody is perfect at management. Um, and they're two different characters, two different approaches. And, um, and again, it's coaching those to make sure that they can manage their teams correctly. Um, that takes up quite a bit of time as well. So no, it's, it's a very difficult job. Yeah, and um, if I may, I think one of the things in, in your situation in Cento Personnel was that it was all falling to you very much. And we're now in a position where with uh, uh, at least two really strong performers. Um, but key to that transition, which will take us to a place where when there are more people just, this is the way we do things here, then um, it t- actually takes the day-to-day burden off you. But key to that, two things. Number one is absolutely clarifying for new managers what their job is and not just letting them like make it up as they go along. So we've been fairly prescriptive about that in terms of the kind of uh, structures, reporting, meetings that we expect them to have. Um, the second thing is that um, we've... We've actually expanded a lot uh, in your policy handbook and statements and, you know, what we expect around here. And a lot of people glaze over when I talk about the importance of policy handbooks because they think of them as a box ticking exercise. But actually, in ter- yeah, you need them there to change the norm. Uh, and once they're, once that's in place... New, jo- new joiners just look to their peers for how things are done eventually. Um, but it can be very, very useful to have that clarified in an up-to-date um, handbook um, so that it's not a personal issue. You know, when you have to, when you have to redirect somebody, uh, perhaps their conduct has fallen off a little bit, but it's not personal anymore, is it? No, it's what was agreed. This is what we agreed at the beginning of the process, and and uh, and you're falling short or you're exceeding. You know, some people can exceed, and it also, again, coming back to the beginning of this conversation, it's something that I realised was lacking, and I needed that um, that foundation, if you like, put in place. And it also helps as much as we're recruiters. Recruiting for yourself is very difficult, of course. So, but if you if you do find a good candidate that's come and work for you, if you can deliver them a, a proper offer letter and a, a company handbook and everything looks professional, then they're more likely to come and, come and work for a company that doesn't deliver it, of course. Yes, it, and the other thing we know is that it makes it a good deal easier to tell with a new starter if they're if they're hitting the milestones in their early months. Um, and I would observe that that too many of the recruitment business owners and leaders I, I speak to are still a bit reliant on gut feel because the the, the results don't always come, um, and sometimes you need to be you need to have other milestones in mind that tell you okay this person's definitely on the right track um, rather than just do I like them. Do I, you know, am I under pressure? Do I need to get rid or not? I think also for the for the new starter, though, with that, it also gives someone a clear directive. And if you've got the right individual, they know that if they tick all the boxes in week one, week two, week three, week four, that their job's safe. Because obviously, they're, they're, there's many times here, they're starting a new career. 
And so they're then concerned, are they doing the right thing? So again, previous, we would have nothing um, defined. And so people would just be hoping for the best that they're doing the right thing. Now they can tick these things off themselves every week. Um, and they do that with their line manager, but they tick it off every week. And they know in their own mind that they're progressing. They can see that progression and they're progressing to the right target. So I think it's comforting for a new starter to have something like that as well. That's a really good point. It's important for them psychologically as well as for you, isn't it? Okay, now you've actually been um, in recent times really successful at internal hiring, in my view. You've got people from all sorts of backgrounds. Um, uh, and very often others couldn't get that talent or had to rely on buying in very expensively um, people with experience in recruitment. So what would you say, apart from the, the uh, structures that you've already mentioned, what would you say are the big secrets of successful internal hiring for recruiters? We're constantly looking, constantly hiring. Um, we don't always get it right, um, but we're constantly hiring. And um, and looking for people that, you know, I, I've actually put out on you know, local social media and, and, and job ads, I'll talk to anybody. I'll talk to anybody that's got an interest in recruitment. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk to anybody that um, is interested in a sales opportunity. So we look for people that come from a sales background or not. Um, you know, you, you mentioned our contract division is run by an ex-teacher and he's doing incredibly well. Um, but, you know, he wanted to move into recruitment. And so, again, we gave him those milestones and he ticked off the milestones. And interestingly, um, we've got a new guy that's just recently joined who knocked on the door, knocked on the front door. Oh, actually physically came to your office? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> he physically came to the office, knocked on the front door, and he said, um, I see you're advertising. Um, I'd be really interested in talking to whoever's in, in, in charge of recruitment. I haven't got the best CV. What do I need to do to stand out? So he said, well, you've just knocked on the door. So you do. You are standing out. And um, and he came in, had a chat with us, and, and, and he's here. He's, he's actually working in the contract side as well. And so far, so good. He's, he, he, wants, he wants the job. He, he wants to do it. And that's half the battle is people wanting to do it and people that don't have that energy and drive. That, that's the problem. But I think that's commonplace across everywhere. What a fascinating story, though. There's your guy who, who by calling on you physically, without an appointment, uh, actually made himself really stand out. And you, you know what? I think it's worth pointing out that, because we're both great, strong believers in the power of face-to-face -face meetings. I'm not suggesting you drive to the other end of the country and turn up un unannounced at your clients, but just turning up still makes a big difference, doesn't it? Okay. So for anyone who is interested in talking to you, Brett, about the potential of exploring working with centre personnel um, in or around Loughborough, how should they contact you? Um, contact me via phone, knock on the front door, um, or via, via email, via social media. Um, I'm all, I'll always take a call, I'll always have a chat with anybody that's interested. Um, and um, again, we do say to people that you know it is a sales role, and they need to, they need to be um, they need to be mindful that it's a sales role. I think some people don't don't see it as a sales role, um, but then we we'll, then we go through a, an interview process. Um, which will be a, at least a two-stage, possibly three-stage interview process. And we do involve other people here 
um, because the one thing that we do, we are very, very um, protective of, everybody here is protective of, is our culture. And um, we won't tolerate anybody that isn't inclusive in our culture. If they, if they sit as an island or they, they, they start to upset people, then we have to make a decision very, very quickly. Um, so it's a joint effort. Now, that's a very interesting point. So just as our last, our last point there, culture doesn't happen by accident, does it? That culture comes, starts with you and then it gets reinforced by having processes and policies um, and daily practice. But is that in the end like the most important thing that a leader should be doing in a, a small business, do you think? Yes, I think it is. It's one of the most important things because without culture, you've got nothing. And, um, and, and again, we celebrate success here, even if it's just an interview. Um, everyone celebrates success. Everybody's supportive of, of, of one another. Um, and, you know, not everybody has a fantastic month, but, um, but we make sure that if, 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 you know, the colleagues can help them, they will help them get over that, you know, the doldrum, so to speak. Um, but that culture, that, that's incredibly important. To, to us right now and everybody's got a voice here as well so if they see something wrong with a new starter or that person's not fitting in or that person just needs a, you know an arm around them or a, or a bit of help then everyone's got the ability to to speak up um, and I think that goes it goes a hell of a long way and I think also what you've also got to do is to make it it's hard work it's incredibly hard work you know recruitment's not an easy job at all You've got to be incredibly resilient and you've got to be prepared to you know, keep going when the chips are down. But you've also got to have a bit of fun. You've also got to enjoy it. You've got to come to work and absolutely enjoy it. And that's what we try and do here. And we don't do, um, you know, weekends to Ibiza. We don't do um, those sorts of incentives here. And that's not because, you know, we, we, we tabled it. Everything's open to a discussion everybody here, but the, the staff don't really want that. Um, we had a, a golf and a spa day on Friday because we hit our half-year numbers. Um, and the feedback I got this morning was fantastic and we, we definitely need to do it again. So um, it's those sorts of things that, that they ask for, pub nights and, and so on. And, and I just we just do, do whatever they want, really. And I think testimony to your culture is the fact that during um, COVID, I think about 90% of the time you guys were actually all in the office when it was allowed at all, weren't you? Yeah, we, did, we didn't, definitely didn't come in and have all the, all the blinds shut and park the cars around the corner. No, we didn't do anything like that. <laughs> nothing dodgy. Before no, nothing, anything. nothing at all. But you had very, very high attendance levels, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Technology-wise, um, you know, we've got everything to work from home. And I've got no issue in people working from home and I keep it a completely open policy my view is always, as long as we hit our numbers, we, we can do what we want. But everybody comes in the office every day because that's what they want to do. That's their choice. Unless, of course, you know, someone's having a washing machine delivered or, or something else at home. They might stay at home for a couple of hours or go to the dentist, whatever it might be. There's all that flexibility there. But they all choose to come into the office. They all want to come into the office um, to get that separation of, of, of home life. Um, basically, but I don't, it's not something I, I, I force upon anybody. Thank you. So some really interesting points there. Just to summarise, here's what I'm taking from this. Number one is really understand your tech. If you're a micro business, make sure the things integrate. That's really important. Number two, 
Culture is not something that happens just from Braveheart speeches. It actually happens from having systems and processes and policies and documents, <laughs> the things that happen, and making sure that happens consistently. And just to finish off, as you said, it's making it still making it fun for people to come in to the office in a way that suits your audience. So uh, I've been joined today by Brett Ennels, CEO of Cento Personnel. Thank you very much, Brett, um, for joining me. So anyone who's interested in a chat with Brett, you know how to reach him. Um, this is Alison Humphreys. If you're interested in how I could work with you, as I've been working with Brett for um, a year or so, please do get in contact with me, Alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk. Thank you. Thanks, Brett. You've been listening to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so that others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn where you can follow Recruitment Leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast.